podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and on tonight's show, I'll be joined by Tony Anderson, Graham Thulis, and Craig Cairns to talk through the five Scottish Premiership games that happened at the weekend. Yes, unfortunately, St. Mirren against Motherwell was a victim of COVID 19. But there's still plenty to talk about the first Old Firm game of the season and Celtic's bizarrely listless performance at Celtic Park. There was also St. Johnson more than doubling their goals tally from the league so far this season by scoring five at Hamilton. And unfortunately, a pair of nil-nil draws involving Hibs and Aberdeen, dropping points away to County and Dundee United. But still, enough to talk about both those games as well. Enjoy the show. First up on the show, it's Tony Anderson. Tony, how's it going? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. First game we're going to be talking about, Celtic Rangers, 2-0 to the visitors, Conor Goldson double. Can I ask you, as a Hibs fan, did you take any sort of kind of perverse pleasure from Neil Lennon fucking things up uh, tactically to such an extent? We're straight in. There's no foreplay today, Fowler, is there? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think I did, Uh, if I'm being honest. I think with with Neil Lennon as well, uh, like he's he's both a likeable and dislikable character. Uh, I actually, th- even you as a Hearts fan might actually gauge that because sometimes he's like such good value, fun to watch. You also like how he treats. You like sometimes the way that he treats his players, and he gets some G'd up. You can imagine him being good to to play for, but there's just a complete other side as well, uh, and it just he's, he's just an interesting, divisive character. So I can really take Garner pleasure whichever way it goes for someone like Neil Lennon. But I think for most people, despite Rangers obviously being the most one of the most unpopular teams on the planet outside of their, <laughs> own, of their own fan base, I think most people will garner a little bit of joy if Celtic fuck up 10 in a row. It's just the way it is. You, you can't... Someone who's won nine have had it all their own way for so long. Um, you're, you, you're imagining a shift that Schadenfreude towards... Celtic more, uh, even though I hate them both just as much as each other. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it is a shame that it, ha- it has to be Rangers to stop uh, Celtic yeah. doing, doing 10 in a row. If uh, Aberdeen could just come for absolutely nowhere and, and win a title, that would be quite funny. That'd be much better. Yeah, but Celtic and Lennon, they deserve as much abuse for this performance. And again, I, 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 just, I can't think of a worse Celtic performance it was uh, for a long time. It was absolutely management malpractice. It was it was one of the worst manager jobs I've seen from any team in the Scottish Premiership this season. I think maybe Mickey Mellon's farce of a lineup uh, at Ibrox uh, when Dundee United were, were scudded uh-huh. a few weeks ago. That's the only thing that I, I think can really kind of come close to, to being as bad. It's just so bizarre how he's like all of a sudden absolutely wedded to three five two. Like, where did that come from? Like, he used it at Hibs, and he had did use it last season, but he has other, he's used other formations. He's not like, he's not like Pochettino, for example. He just seems to play the same formation all the time. He's it, not like Gerard, for I, example. And I'll never, I, exactly. Gerard is more wedded to his formation than, than historically Lennon has been through his management career. But the fact that you've got all these players missing, like, you've got so many centre backs missing. Beaton, El Hamid, 
and Christopher Julian all out. And yet instead of being like, well, maybe we should move out of this three at the back system, which, as we've said already many times in the show, don't think it necessarily is the best formation for Celtic. Instead, he's like, oh, we're bringing this guy who's fucking played right back for Morton last season and <laughs> stick him in the back three instead. Well, and and, and he, had a, he had a pretty poor game, but yeah. I can't really blame him. He's been just been thrown to the wolves, isn't it? it doesn't yeah. like what did you expect? Is that you're gonna go on and for basically your debut for I know I know I think he's played before, but he's going into a game and you you're going up against the best attacking players in the country. Straight away. You've never had that any other you've never done this before. Uh, and the maybe, biggest game of our season. Maybe the single best attacking player in the country in Ryan Kent this season. Yeah. And he's it's his direct marker as well. So just I, I just found it. It's just, but he's done this before, Lennon. It's it's like arrogance. People telling him he's so stubborn that it just it seeps in. It, it, it was the same at Hibs. People telling him when he's doing it wrong. It's like he doubles down, uh, and it's just you're an adult. You have so much experience who's achieved so much that surely he can just brush it off rather than having to double down and, and feel. It doesn't really make sense to me. It shows a lack of maturity really when he should be for all the things he's been through both personally and professionally you think he'd be the most mature man going to be honest but he's but it rears his ugly head every now and again it's always when it's when it goes when it starts to go bad with Lennon I always get the feeling that there's no real any coming back it's, it's not gonna he might get away with it at Celtic just because it's just so much so fucking easy yeah but, <laughs> um, so he might get away with it ultimately but it just he's got at the end of the season regardless of what happens I don't I think you'd think so you don't think that they'd be looking to well you say this but it just seems weird that he got the job in the first place you thought at the time the Celtic board you've had Brendan Rodgers just like right that went pretty well having quite a, a marquee manager the, it was certainly worth the money that they paid him because he got them into Champions League twice why not you know do the exact same so I mean, you think he would be going at the end of this campaign uh, regardless, but I don't know. With Peter Law's decision-making to offer him the job in the fucking showers as well after they just narrowly beat a rubbish Hearts team in the Scottish <laughs> Cup final. Uh, I, I don't know what he's actually going to do next. Uh, but it, it wasn't they just... They should be miles ahead. They should be... Like, they it's should. not just... like Obviously, you see these threads and people who are maybe a bit closer to it than maybe guys like us are, and you never know quite how true it all is, but like they, they, sort of, they don't seem to really improve the backroom team at all they should be like a hotbed for young talent coming in from all over Europe it should be like a great place to go and learn your trade getting to play Champions League football getting to play with a team with purely a winning mentality that'll be really set in good stead as a young player going forward like playing in such a pressurised environment where you have to win all the time but and sort of being tactically really far forward forward thinking club but it doesn't really seem to have happened because let's be frank Rangers have caught up with them this season. Celtic will, could go and win the league, but it's not going to be 10, 12, 14 points as far as I'm concerned. Looking on the face of it, it's been... So the, the decline's here. We can all see it. Like Celtic haven't really... Even games where they, they beat Ross County 5-0, they didn't blow them away. It was just purely based on talent and, and the sort of specific times of the match that they score. And that's how it ends up 5-0. It wasn't a 5-0 match. And I've not really seen Celtic totally strut with swagger and go on. It always feels like they're going through the motions. And then that second half, especially, I've ne- I couldn't believe what it was. It was like a training game. And yeah. I'm not having used the lack of fans as an excuse. An old firm game, you're 2-0 down 
It should be fucking balls out, everyone going forward. And this never happened. Rangers just strolled it. It's like yeah. they couldn't, I bet they couldn't believe their luck. The players, I think, have to take some sort of responsibility for that because you, you, they, be, they should be doing more. But at the same time, though, to go back to Lennon, the fact that he kept to the, the 3-5-2 until the 84th minute, when you're chasing a game two goals down, you're playing with three centre-halves and a defensive midfielder. It's like, what are you doing? Like, change it earlier. And to be fair, I mean, they get the changes he did make. Again, you can maybe blame the system, but guys like Tom Roderick was barely even in the match when once he came off the bench. Uh, a jetty... I'm still not really kind of. I've still to see much of a jetty other than goal scoring. I mean, that would be perfectly fine if he, if he goes the entire season scoring five goals in seven games. It, it yeah. stre- stretch that over, you know, how many matches he plays in the Scottish Premiership, then he'll probably win Player of the Year and he'll be, you know, and certainly might win the title. But he just doesn't seem to do too much kind of other than that. Um, I think I would have went for Griffiths earlier than a jetty. I know it's only maybe 10, 12 minutes in it, but I think. Ajetti's good in the box. He's strong and he's physical in there, but I think they needed more impetus. They needed someone to drag them into the game. And I think Griffiths would be a better option I for, also, for that style of play. Also, even though I don't think he played, he didn't play necessarily that well at all, but Mohamed Ayounissi was undoubtedly much better than Patrick Kamala. <laughs> why is why is he the one going off first? That made no sense. Kamala just... I, I don't think he's horrendous, Kamala. I mean, technically, he probably isn't a good enough player to play for Celtic. And he's going to he's similar to who I'm going to come on to with, with Duffy, who I'll be talking about later at length, by the way. Um, but, but Kamala is a very specific player with specific attributes that are really going to be needed for Celtic. Uh, so I don't really blame him. They, they know what they were signing. You can see it right away. He wants to put on the shoulder. He wants to go in behind and he wants space and he works. He works hard and he, and he really wants it. You can see it with the goal against Kilmarnock, uh, sorry, who was it last week? Um, St Johnston. Yeah. How, mu- how much he really wants it, and, and, and I appreciate that, but it doesn't stop that he's got huge deficiencies in his game, and there's just no way he's good enough to lead the line against Aye. Rangers in an old firm game. It's just the way it is. They were asking him to hold the ball up, and it was just bouncing off him all game. Ooh. It was really poor. There was another few kind of players that, that didn't shine. I mean, Callum McGregor, again, was very quiet, barely got in the match. Brown, I, th- I thought Brown had a decent first half, but once Celtic really had to start chasing the game in the, in the second period, he just became completely pointless in, in the team. But he doesn't yet, have the drive anymore to do that. He, doesn't, yeah. he's not, it's more, he can maybe thump his chest and shout at people, but in terms of like his ability on the ball to drive the team. I don't know if it's if it's if it's quite there anymore. Cham was at least getting involved in the first half, even though he again wasn't playing well, but then he again completely disappeared in the second half. No surprise to see him taking off. Frimpong got no joy whatsoever down the right. Rangers done pretty well in that regard to be fair by having Glenn Kamara kind of go over and, and shadow him and you know obviously having Barisic as well. That's kind of too what, strong too strong the, players are just shutting down. That's where the game was won, really. That's because they totally shut off the way Celtic were playing and the, the sort of lack of sort of their better f- forward players. I think Frimpong was probably their main attacking outlet who you'd expect to make something happen. And Rangers and Kamara, who's probably the best player in the park, I would say he, him and Barisic, totally shut that down. Frimpong, I felt sorry for a bit because I think Christie is important to Frimpong as a player because Christie, even when he's at his worst, he's like, not his best, sorry. His link-up play is always good and those two seem to like playing with each other. You see it a lot. And in that game, I think I only counted once when El Yunusi 
and Frimpong had a good moment. I think it was about 20 minutes into the game where they linked up and El Yunusi got in the box and he had a really nice turn and he played it in and it didn't come to anything at the time. But that was only tight. And normally, just he bounces the ball off Christie all the time. And Christie's so good at those deft touches outside his foot. And Frimpong, I could see, I think he was missing his pal, to be honest. Diego lacks out. It's only one game. But he doesn't look much better than Greg Taylor, does he? I, mean, he's, I get the feeling his crossing might be all right. Yeah. Uh, I think because like, there was times where it was slightly overhit, but it looked like he was sort of attempting. You know, it wasn't just a blind crosser who just swings it in. You could see that he had, he wanted to rotate the style of crosses and he could see what he was trying to aim for. But, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't brilliant, but he still was nowhere near one of the worst players for Celtic. Yeah. He'll, he'll get away with a lot of, with, with not much criticism for that. I think the problem with his performance was that he slung in a lot of early balls into the box. Now, that's usually all well and good, but Celtic aren't necessarily got kind of much heading ability up front, especially in this game without, you know, Edward in there. So I don't know whether that's going to be a great tactic for, for them going forward or whether Lennon's going to have to encourage him to take on, you know, the, the last defender more and try and kind of get as close to the byline as possible and, and kind of cut back or pick people out rather than, you know, swinging in a, a deep one and again, trying to trying to beat the opposing defence. This is where sort of Christie might come in again so they can do more, he can sort of play into the box rather than just putting early crosses in. A guy like Christie sort of moves between, he moves to the lines and moves from side to side and he always wants to link up and get on the ball so they can sort of move the way into the box rather than throwing it in. They can maybe sort of use a passing lanes to actually get the ball in the box and that might suit them again but that's and that suits Edward in general that sort of style of play so so lay the smack down on Shane Duffy it's not that I, just, I mean, we spoke a couple of weeks ago um, when we'd done the pod um, it was a European pod that we'd done and I was talking about that I saw I felt that there might be deficiencies in Duffy's game that will get shown up playing for Celtic and his attributes don't suit Celtic unless they have the occasion when they maybe play backs to the wall in Europe and then maybe Duffy will be good at just propelling crosses away, uh, making last-ditch tackles, that, which he's very good at. He is, he is a good player. But it's Shane Duffy, who they've signed, and I, I imagine they're paying a huge chunk of his wages. Uh, so he's an expensive signing, coming from the English Premier League where he's got a wealth of experience. So you'd be hoping, a, when you're doing that, you want them to take you up a level. But a defender like Shane Duffy, it just doesn't suit Celtic. He got so much time on the ball. Rangers, who would be one of the few teams that probably would press Celtic from the front, um, they didn't bother when Duffy got the ball. They all stood off them. I counted them putting it out of the park three times. In fairness, he also, I think he put the ball forward for El Yunusi's chance that yeah, he sort no. of hit with his um, ankle rather than his foot, which ballooned it over the bar. Um, so like, and, but that was just a really straight long ball. You know, there was not much finesse to it. And then other ones, when he tried to pass it, he gave the ball away a couple of times. He got caught on the ball by Morelos, I think, pretty early as well. And sometimes when he just I saw him pass the ball out, and also long switches out the part. He needs to be better at that to play for Celtic because that's what he's going to get. That he will get time on the ball. He'll be expected to come out, especially as the centre of the three defenders. Uh, and then another weakness that we've seen, I think everyone's noticed, is these balls over the top, especially against Hibs. Hibs got a, quite a bit of joy from that. So the things that will come up against in Scottish football for Celtic will be balls over the top of them and he'll get the ball to carry it out. And he won't be doing a hell of a lot of backs to the ball defending. So it's not that I don't rate him and I'm judging him a lot 
I'm judging him at a higher plane than I would a normal player that comes into the league. But he deserves to be judged like that. I just think it's a, it'll look like a, a pointless signing that'll be expensive that really won't take them any further. It's a it's a Jurassic Park signing. It's a, even just because you could doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. Like they had the chance to sign what for Scottish football standards is a very good defender uh, and somebody who's a Celtic fan as well. But they didn't really stop to think that whether this was the exact centre back they needed. They just needed like a they needed a better they needed another centre half if they wanted to play three at the back. So that was a need. But they should have got somebody who has the ability to travel with the ball because mm-hmm. if you're playing in Scottish football as Celtic, you're going to have a lot of the ball at the back, and you need your defenders to be like Christopher Ayer and and be able to go forward and and take people on and make these kind of defence splitting passes. And it was clear to see on Saturday that Ayer was the only one that was capable of doing that. And when it's only one of them and you've got two other guys who are just basically standing there, that's just two that's just two players that the opposition don't have to worry about. Uh, yeah, and that's not good enough when you're Celtic. You want it to be coming from all angles. Uh, he, as I said, he, he, he defended some crosses well, even though, in fairness, the one thing that he's good at, the, well, one of his main attributes is defending crosses and set pieces, and he was fucking nowhere for the first goal. You see him coming into the screen at the very last second, but he's marking no one. He's just not involved in the game and, and, and a crucial part. So that's a huge black mark going on. This is the definitely what you're meant to be good at. And like, <laughs> and, I, and because I mentioned this on this pod a couple of weeks ago, Brighton, I don't watch lots of it, but I remembered Hutton when he was there, they were backs to the wall and they struggled and they stayed, stayed up by the skin of their teeth. And Duffy was the main man there. And I think he had a good season. He scored a few goals and it suited them. The second Potter came in, suddenly his game time was halved. He was sort of coming on his sub and he was playing to cover for injuries. And then the second another uh, window came up, they signed more players to shift Duffy and then putted them off to Celtic. And Potter wants to play Brighton, play much more expansive football than he did under Hutton. They, they'll probably still be near the bottom of the league. Not that anyone cares on this show, but uh, <laughs> and but they'll play. They, they were trying to develop as a team and to, and to get better. So they wanted rid of Duffy. But Duffy comes into Celtic, who'll be playing a similar way to what Brighton want to play and then you're bringing them in. It just, as I said, I was sceptical from the word go and nothing he's done is changing that. But as I said, I don't blame Shane Duffy. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he's at the, the wrong team. If he was at, if he was still down south and he was playing for one of the shittest teams in the league, like Fulham or something at the back, I'd say, great signing. That would work really well. It's the wrong trousers, Gromit. Yeah, Exactly. Right. right, we should probably talk about Rangers a little bit before we move on, but there's not really much to add on top of that. Kind of Rangers, Rangers' performance for me was kind of like six or seven out of ten. I don't think they were necessarily even that great. Well, it was funny because me and Tom done the Friday night, well, I think it went out on Friday night pod yeah. um, uh, for the Patreon, and we were talking about the old firm game, and we got it completely wrong because we said, both agreed that, Celtic will be able to win this game without playing well, whereas the op- Rangers will have to uh, will have to play well to win the game, and and they didn't need to. This is as average as Rangers have really played an old firm game, but they've got one of the one of their best results that they've had in in, in recent years, and and that's another worry for Celtic because that's that invincibility being chipped away at that they they sort of that one in the League Cup final we thought that was like a real dagger to the heart of Rangers, but that's now kind of been removed because Rangers were good. They were better. They were much sharper on the ball. They moved it much quicker, but they've they've played miles better. <laughs> Back-to-back and, wins at Celtic Park as well, both thoroughly deserved. Yeah. So, I mean, I said, say, Kamara, 
was really good. He was the best player. Tavernier obviously got the got the cross in for the goal. He's looking like more and more like if they could pull it off, Tavernier's looking like absolute player of the year material. And that'll be quite a, a fun story, his sort of whole career at Rangers, if it, if it does end up like that. It's sort of similar to for using a Hibs one, maybe like Lewis Stevenson, where he's had dark times, fans against them, uh, and then the good times come. Then, so if Rangers stop 10 in a row, yeah, they might have had greater achievements in their in their history, but this will go down as one of the most important moments in their history. And Tavernier will be a big part of that. So similar to Stevenson with the Scottish Cup, but you had the relegation times, people wanted about the team. So it'll be quite a similar arc that Tavernier had. And it be a nice end to a story for a guy who's, who's taken a lot of shit and still and performed really, really well over it. And he's just he's just a fun fucking player, isn't he? Yes. It's just fun to watch. Right. While we're on the subject of Lewis Stevenson, we may as well talk about a game he actually started in, which was Hibs nil, or sorry, Ross County nil, Hibs nil, uh, to give it its proper title. And I think it's fair to say that Hibs will, will look at this match as two points dropped. Absolutely. Um, they started really strong. Hibs started with a 3-5-2, as did uh, County, really. So they so they sort of matched up with each other. County, interestingly enough, as I said, Charles Cook's just sort of getting punted around the around the positions, as far as I can see. But uh, he ended up playing at left wing back. And again, Craig, you might not want to hear it, but he was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> are, you sure Hibs, are you sure Hibs was a 3-5-2? I kind of saw it as a... I kind of saw it as a 4-4-2 with, with Gogic deep and McGuinness tuck it in. So maybe not that, that much difference, but I did think that Paul McGinn was at right back. Yeah, I think every time we got the... I think the, the three set, because Hanley would push out to the left as well. So they were really spread. Hibs played very attacking. So it might you you you, you could... It's something that would be up for up for debate. Now that I think about yeah. it, though, Stevenson was very advanced. So maybe you're right. Weisgott had it as a 4-1-3-2, but now that I'm kind of thinking about it, you might be. It was, it's probably somewhere between the two. Yeah, because I mean, Hibbs with the, the, the whole point, the flexibility that Ross has spoke about, he's pretty open on how he wants it to play, that um, I think they more go out with an idea of how to play, and it isn't quite as... He doesn't have it anywhere structured, like basically the polar opposite of, of his predecessor, uh, Paul Eckebottom, where there's a lot more freedom and flexibility in the team, but... Charles Cook, going back to, I thought he, his physical attributes and his work rate mean that in this league, we've seen before that that can be enough to make you a passable player. Uh, and I think after seeing him against Rangers playing on the right-hand side, then in this game against the left, against some of the better players that he'll come up against in the league, he coped all right. Boyle got a lot of joy, but it was much more him coming in from the right-hand side and then the ball's coming over the top. So it wasn't like he was getting a lot of joy one-on-one. Uh, with Charles Cook so uh, it's an interesting one for for County and another player who came in I'll go into Hibs in a minute but Duhan is he's better than Laidlaw talking of management malpractice where the fuck took Stuart Kettlewell so long to realise that uh, yeah because it's just miles better they looked so much more comfortable uh, Ross County they started with a sort of suicide high line I thought and I think I've seen them do it quite a few times uh, under Kettlewell, where they, they really want to press the game. I think he really wants them to be a lot better than what they actually can be. Uh, so so and, and they, they changed, don't get wrong, after those first 20 minutes where Hibs were just creating chances at will, and both from balls over the top, passing, set pieces, so every way you could possibly make a chance, Hibs were making it, and it just looked like a matter of time. But I think County deserve credit because they... 
Or maybe Hibs sort of lack, maybe ran out a bit of steam. I think you can see tiredness in Hibs during periods of the game. They were able to go at County for like 50-minute periods. Then they would come off. Then they start the second half, they sort of went out again. Then they had another lull where County came right back into the game. And then at the very end, Hibs sort of went for a game. And maybe that's not a surprise. Five of them were away. International duty, then the squad got absolutely stretched from the in those Betfred games, I mean, to the point that it was about 13, 14 players available. And as a Hibs fan, from their perspective, I won't I'm not too downhearted because it's good to see that even when we are not at our best and our most vibrant, we had enough chance in that game to win a couple in matches. They were, I mean, Deutsch had a one-on-one, Boyle had a one-on-one, Nisbet had one off the line. Um, got in Deutsch had a, a header at the end. Malice had a strike. McGinnis at the post. So I mean, that's a long list of, of chances. And I still think Neil Neil looked great. He's yeah. he's he's just a real tidy player to watch. There's um, maybe not. He's certainly not a. Bot, there's not many players in the bottom six of this league that are so easy on the eye as you like Joe Neal. He's such a technically gifted sort of stylish player. He's the kind of guy I think would have that sort of Frank Lampard type run when they run like, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When their thumbs are out to the side and they sort of jog with a little, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but people will know, people will know. Tweet in if you know, if you know, you know. Uh, and then John, he's got the, he's got the hairband in and the long hair uh, and he's got a wand of a left foot and his work rate's like really there now. Him and Gogic have and he was, I think Neil was probably the best player in the park, along with McGinn at Hibs and Dodge as well. Because Dodge, even when he's not at his best, his work rate's so good. He's good in both boxes uh, and he's good defensively. A lot of times you see him turn up at left back, making tackles. And obviously when we're breaking out from sort of defending set pieces and stuff. But uh, Ross County, I like the look of Lacken. Uh, he's sort yeah. of all action. He made, some really, he made some really strong runs at the Hibs box and had a couple of he had a couple of opportunities. One he should definitely should have done better with. He should have scored. The one with Garden got in the box. Yeah. That was a really nice move from Garden probably general. should have had a, had a pop as well. With that I was shocked when I was watching that. I thought that like, he's going to curl that. Uh, but then he played it lacking. But that was a good move for County in general. I actually think both teams tried to play a bit of football. I actually didn't think... No, no, they might, people might say it's boring, but I actually thought there was a decent amount of quality in the game. I don't think people were lumping it. Uh, I thought it was quite a, it was a, quite a nice watch, if you like. But yeah, Lacken, he adds to their their midfield. He gives them a bit more drive. Vigers doesn't really have the legs. No. Uh, Peyton, Peyton's just really inconsistent and frustrating because Peyton should be, Peyton has all the tools to, to do it, but he just doesn't do it. I don't, I don't so think it affects like, the game quite as much in the final third that you want from like a slight creative midfielder. Yeah, if you're like an eight, he want, he want, he's, he's, he's good, he's a harrier. Uh, he he's, he's, he picks up good positions, he's got decent technique. Yeah, he's quite he's a player I, I don't mind watching. I just, yeah, I'm just not sure that at this level he's got quite enough to, to, to kind of rack up goals and assists and from your most advanced kind of central midfielder a lot of the time. He wasn't in this game, Garden was, but he has been uh, played number 10 a few times before and for that position, just doesn't quite have the, the threat you, you need for, for somebody there. But County, they, they didn't um, they didn't crumble, and they really could. Like, the first twenty minutes, it really was looking like this could be anything. That we just Hibs were getting it well, but they came in it. They got structured, uh, and like I said, um, lacking. And Ross Stewart managed to create a few chances, but most of their chances were from long range. Hibs did hold them, but 
they were well involved in the game and they'll be happy. That's a big point for them because they've been like their form's been horrendous. <laughs> they've, got, yeah. they've got one that's still one league win in nine now. Uh, but that's a big point to get home to Hibs. And obviously, even in the League Cup, they had a topsy turvy time like quite a few of the, the Premier League teams did in the Betfred. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> some, uh, some kind of alarming results in, the, yeah. in those games. How did you think that Kel McGuinness did? He sort of maybe quite epitomised the performance. Again, it was all in stages. So periods where he looked really good. He was getting his turn. Uh, like, like, so maybe what the Hibs fans are like to know is the John McGinn turn where he's doing the... Like, he, he, players get too tight to him and he turns and he can drive. You can see he could bring elements of that to the team. Uh, obviously had a great shot that hit the post, but you could see him tire really early in the second half. And I'm not saying he's barely played. He made, he made appearances in those Betfred games uh, in all three of them. And he's got an hour in his legs there, but you could see it. Cause then suddenly it was like, he was getting the ball and this whole game was slowing down because he needed more time to sort of catch his breath and assess what's going on in front of them. And he was doing step overs and then just losing the ball. He was just trying to get, he just wanted far too much time once after about literally about 50 minutes into the second half. But on first viewing, in a hip shirt, I think there's stuff that there's stuff to be excited about, maybe. Yeah, I think I, 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 Malin coming on from as a right substitute. Uh, Malin could, could have provided a bit of a spark. Uh, somebody who obviously we've been critical of in the past, but we know that going forward he, he can make stuff happen. He had a really good the pass for Dodge over the top. Aye, that one, that one, that was perfect. Uh, and they also had a good the shot yeah. he had came from him playing a good ball for Nisbet down the line, mm. and then Nisbet kind of reversed it back to him. The thing for Malin as well is it'll be not good because obviously it's disappointing that obviously I don't want to perpetrate rumours or anything about Alan, but the situation with Alan, Malin now, Hibs can maybe afford now that Malin plays the role that Alan would normally have played, which has much less responsibility than the roles that Hibs have sort of probably stupidly asked Malin to play in the past. And that role that he'll play, especially behind two strikers at the times that he's on the part, most of the time, will really accentuate his attributes and hide those deficiencies, especially when you've got Neil and Gogic there who will do the running for him. They will, they actually notice when people run past them. <laughs> so, and then obviously you bring, and then you've got the other obvious things like Malin's deliveries from um, free kicks and corners and his long range shooting ability. And then Malin actually becomes like a real sort of key component as a sub and as a squad player, because he brings something that, when Hibs are struggling, like he nearly pulled it off in this game. It would have been, and I imagine that this will happen again. Hibs will struggle to uh, score goals or break teams down. It's going to happen. Teams, Hibs, as we spoke about, the gap between Hibs and Aberdeen and the rest looks quite large, that it may be larger normally is between the two clubs in there and the rest. So you can think there's going to be quite a lot of games that teams are going to dig in and sit in on Hibs. And I think you'll be, Malin's actually going to be quite an important part that only use them in that specific place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think there's too much else to say about this game. I think that Michael Gardine was probably county's best player on the day. Certainly one of them. He was able to to pick up some decent areas of space between the kind of Hibs defence and midfield. That was only really where Ross County, I think, got any kind of joy was in those areas with Peyton Larkin or Larkin and uh, Gardine kind of managing to it was only really kind of Gogic was going back and quite often as well, he would kind of step out to challenge whoever was on the ball mm-hmm. and that would kind of leave a bit of room behind them. 
Because he's quite an aggressive defensive midfielder, Gogic. He do, he's not passive. Yeah. Uh, he likes to go and affect it, which I think suits the way Hibs want to play. But I think Gogic, you could see, even just he played a game for Cyprus, even the travelling, it's new to him. He, he, he looked a bit more off it and wanted more time on the ball than he was used to. And like you said, Lacken and Payton, they've got, they've got a bit of energy about them. So I think they did probably have a good day up against Gogic there. And Kenny will be Kenny will be happy. This the sending off was a stonewaller, by the way. Yeah, just absolutely. You can see the chunks of his shirt. And you can see boils back, and so and it was uh, okay, that late in the game. Maybe maybe a smart move. Even yeah. though Boyle was one on one, but Boyle was one on one earlier, and it, he didn't look like he had his eye in because uh, that was a terrible finish. The one early uh, when he dragged it wide. Yeah. He like Boyle likes it when he's further out. He likes to do that dragged shot from just outside the edge of the box and at the bottom corner. Uh, but when he gets a bit close in, he's still Martin Boyle. The one-on-ones are never going to be absolutely perfect, I think is safe to say. Right, I think I'll do this. Thank you very much, Tony. No worries. Thank you. That was enjoyable. Uh, I hope you enjoy talking to the rest of the lads. And uh, to listeners, Chiro. And now coming on to the podcast to discuss just one game from the past weekend, it's Graham Thulis. Hello, Graham. Hello, Craig. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not particularly pleased that we're only discussing one game. I was quite hoping to, dis- to discuss unbeaten Motherwell, who are Stephen Robinson on his way to Manners of the Month after two games and no goals conceded. Um, so yeah, it's been a it's been a good month for Motherwell um, as uh, our, our players are getting back to fitness by playing international football somehow, um, but not actually playing any games of football. <laughs> yeah, obviously, for those who are not aware, the game between Simon and Motherwell at the weekend was postponed because of. I kind of Simon were already without a couple of players due to positive COVID tests, and then I think the day of the game, it was found out that several others had tested positive as well. So the game had to be postponed at the last minute. So only the one game for us to talk about, and that is Livingston one, Kilmarnock three. Uh, Alex Dyer's side continuing their, their decent form from late. I think it's four wins out of five in the Scottish Premiership, and. Done really well as well to fight back from an early setback. Scott Pittman put in Levinson in front quite early, but Kelly kind of rode that initial wave. Better team kind of towards the end of the half and then got the goal fairly early in the second half and just kind of defended their box for that point forward. It was it's an interesting game between two teams that I'm finding really difficult to kind of put a finger on this season at all. I keep underestimating Kilmarnock, despite the fact that it's the basically the same team as Kilmarnock have been for the past three seasons and the three central midfielders, which are as good as just about anybody else in the country outside Rangers and Celtic. Um, but I still seem to find myself underestimating Livingston as well from week to week keep looking like our Livingston are going to be the same team that have been over the last the last season particularly the season before that they're going to be difficult and they're going to be a, a, an interesting watch but I just find it really difficult to understand quite where they're going wrong I've got an idea but we'll get to that as well the other thing I think is uh, I think it's important for Livingston that Scott Pittman stops scoring old stops scoring early goals as well given that it seems every time he scores an early goal they lose as well so yeah <laughs> Just uh, stop doing that because um, he was he was the one that put them a goal up in about ten seconds against Hackies as well in a game they lost as well. So I think for Livingston's sake, it's probably best that they start scoring goals in about the seventieth minute rather than the first. It's another home defeat for Livingston as well. Yeah, let's say Livingston. I find it really, I find it really difficult for our predictions. I'm an absolute shambles. My percentage is dropping weekly on that because um, every time you look at it and go, well, Livingston, you know, they got a win maybe, and then that, that was on the road, and now they're back at home when they where they are traditionally very good. 
um, and in a game which they just kind of faded in really badly, I felt. I think the only prediction I got right this weekend was a back Rangers. That was it. Of <laughs> like, all the other five games I got wrong, I went very kind of underdog heavy, which I, I suppose I was right to a point because United and County didn't lose their games. Uh, so I suppose that was a, a decent You're almost goal, there. Almost yeah, there. almost there. But no, I had uh, I think I had a draw for this one. And even then, I wasn't too happy with that. I, I would have swayed to the other side because of all the call-offs that Kelly have had and players have had COVID. I'm, I'm not sure whether anybody... He was actually playing. I, I, I don't think so, but they they certainly showed no kind of ill effects, and the, the squad kind of had looked a bit. I'm not actually sure. Actually, who who had COVID for Kelly? Do we know, or is it just speculation? I don't know. Um, right. I, I I think Dicker said that he'd had it, right? Um, or he'd tested, or he'd been uh, ruled out through contact tracing, whatever else as well, because he tweeted saying thanking the the medical staff for looking after him and the rest of the boys. So the the way that it was worded made me think that perhaps he had been a positive test. But I, again, I'm not not uh, that's that's based solely on something he tweeted, and I've no idea whether I, whether I read that either read it properly either. So there's every chance I did that entirely wrong. Well, regardless, they certainly didn't uh, play like they had guys who had recently lost their sense of, sense of taste and smell. Uh, they, there was a few kind of very impressive performers, I thought, for, for Kelly. The, in midfield area, especially, Chris Burke continuing to do Chris Burke things. He, doesn't, he, wasn't, he kind of dropped out of the game after they scored the, the third goal, but he kind of done his part by that point, so he wasn't really necessarily needed to anymore. He'd kind of helped score three goals <laughs> so that's kind of your job's done for the day just I'm gonna sit down mate right, just, just defend for this point forward thought Aaron Tishbola was very good again uh, after a couple of games where he was maybe a little bit quieter than he than he was because he had a, a very good August and then he kind of he wasn't poor in September he just kind of fell back to earth just a little bit but he was I thought he was very good in the centre park and yeah, I, feel, was, I feel like I, I've got a growing appreciation for Tishbola I hadn't really noticed he's one of those I think it's just partially standing next to, to Dicker and Power that perhaps he doesn't shine as much as he is in my eyes certainly maybe doesn't shine as much as as he actually does but certainly I thought he was very very good in this game it felt like he sort of took control of a midfield which was Livy's midfield are a, are, a, are a scrappy bunch at the very at the very most limited way. Um, so I thought he was I thought he was terrific in this game. And I also thought that Alan Power played well as well. And one aspect of that was falling down dramatically to win penalties. Um, I'll, I'll add to that as well. I thought Greg Kelty was very good in this game as well. Yeah, I think I think the the way in which he plays is. It's perfect for him in this Kilmarnock team just now as well, or this Kilmarnock team in the past three years, like I've seen. The the midfield three of, of Dicker, Power and, and Tishbola gives Kilty a freedom around the pitch and it, Livingston didn't, didn't really seem to know quite what to do with him. Um, yeah, while, you, while, you, saw that, you saw that in the, the build-up to the penalty as well, because uh, he comes right o- all the way over to the right-hand side and that kind of helps them. They, they outnumber Livingston there and that's how they're able to kind of work it and then eventually work it across the box to, to Power, who... I mean, <laughs> the Livingston fans were not happy with the referee. You can kind of tell. The referee's only a couple of yards away. I certainly don't think it's a penalty. It didn't look like it had the, the most amount of contact in it, no. I was surprised. <laughs> Again, when you it's, I always find it more interesting or, or sort of a bit interesting watching games where you already know exactly what the result's going to be and you know there's going to be a penalty at some point and you kind of presumed I do my best to try not to read too much about them before I watch them because then it, it, it sort of colours what you, what your, your judgment on it but that I'm looking at it like 
I don't really, I'm not entirely sure what's going on there. I'm not entirely, <laughs> watched it a bunch of times. Like, just, I presumed I'd missed something really obvious, but apparently not. <laughs> but there were a couple of other players I thought they had decent games for Kelly. And this I maybe told you a bit about the way the match went. Is that I thought that I thought the entire back four in general was pretty good, especially in the game where they had a lot of cross balls to deal with. They basically kind of conceded territory to Livingston after they went three one up and just defended their box. And with the exception of Forrest hitting the post from a quite an acute angle, so it wasn't as great a chance as that may seem. And there was a very good chance right at the end for Jet, uh, who should have scored. They hit the bar. And he should have buried that, but that even if he had scored that, that was you're talking that was an injury time, so the game was probably won by that point anyway. But I thought Dickamona stood out quite well at the heart of the the Kelly defence. I think the Kelly defence overall really limited Scott Tiffany's contribution to the game. Tiffany, I think I've said quite a few times, has, has kind of punched above his weight uh, almost literally, uh, in, in the matches he's played where he, he scrapped a lot more than you would expect and been able to get the ball to stick up the park. Well, you'd, you'd think for somebody of his size, I mean, he only must be about, you know, 5'10", like about, you know, 11 stone ringing wet, but he's uh, he's he's done very well leading that line to in past games. But you could tell this one that Kelly just kind of limited his factor. And at the other end, Kabamba, while it wasn't one of his best games, I still thought that he was able to make the ball stick and was giving Effie Ambrose especially some problems. Not good matchup for Ambrose, that, that type of player going against him. No, I, I I really like Kabamba. He was when he signed, he looked like he had a bit he, he just looked interesting more than anything. He wasn't as involved in games coming from a, a significantly lower level to the one he's playing at just now. And you could tell it was going to take him a little bit of time to get up to speed. And I, I always like signings like that in teams because it's, it's very much a kind of sink or swim in Scottish football pretty quickly and he in a way perhaps probably benefited um, from the season curtailment and that you can just go you know go and get yourself prepared look at what you're doing to spend a bit of time figure out and then come back this season and he really looks as if he's done that he is he, he looks every part every bit the sort of Scottish Premiership centre forward um, there's there's very few games now where you see him where he's not contributing something or other even if he's not contributing in a in a footballing sense he spends his entire time just roughing up centre halves and it doesn't particularly matter whether it's Livingston centre halves whether it's Celtic centre halves whether it's Rangers centre halves whether it's anybody's centre halves Kabamba makes guys I, I, he's very much in that sort of category of guys that centre halves must wake up in the morning after playing him and will we'll remember having played Nicky Kabamba um, which seems to be every it, it seems to be it's one of those cliches but uh, every time I see him I'm like yeah I don't fancy that I don't, I don't fancy standing next to you anywhere <laughs> yeah no he's he's a player that I quite enjoy watching as well um, but I have it's funny because there's a lot of these guys so there's there's Kabamba there's like Ross Stewart there's probably a few others that I'm not kind of immediately coming to my mind I mean Abika as well is probably another show even though he's not played well this season uh, there's a lot of kind of guys that I do quite like watching when they're at their best but I have been critical of the fact that a lot of these teams have these guys and the plan seems to be knock it towards this guy and get the runners feeding off the scraps and it's not terrible to watch it's just that there's too many teams doing the same thing. It just annoys me. <laughs> like I need, I want more variation than this league. And just uh, in saying that as well, there were big chunks of this game as well, but it was just really nice bits of football. Um, yeah, no, again, no, it's not. It's, it's just a, it's a kind of minor grape I've got about the league this season. It's just I want, I want some more. 
I want, a, I want a manager or two that's doing something different. And Aberdeen might, Aberdeen are doing something different, but then they might go back to doing it again as soon as fucking as soon as, goes back. As soon as they start dropping some points, you know exactly they're going to have either Curtis May or Sam Cosgrove coming back in. Um, but the Levy first goal as well was just the, the example of that, the underlapping run. Yes, that was Sano, good. Every, like, it's just a really lovely goal. You, the whole build-up to it as well. Kelly's goal as well, uh, uh, although it was McCrory batting it back into... Backing it back, batting it back into the six yard box for the goal. The build up to it, I thought, was really nice as well. Just two really nice bits of play um, to take it forward. Right, should we talk about a few uh, the Levy players? I thought Serrano was, I think, kind of two sides of Serrano's game kind of showed. So he's 100%. very, so he's very good. He seems to be very good going forward. And I don't think he's necessarily that bad defensively. I think he just because he, he likes to get forward that much. I think he can get caught out in terms of positioning. I think that's why Chris Burke had as much joy against him as he did. It was more a kind of case of, and I can't remember which, was it one of the goals or was it, might have not been a goal or, or, or a chance. Um, yeah, sorry, it was Burke's shot that he had wide where you could see that Burke just kind of steps inside him and it's because Serrano was kind of overcommitted because he's like like running so hard to get back into position because he's been on the attack. Now, it can lead to good things that led to the opening goal, but there were other points in the game. Uh, pretty much every single Kelly goal uh, at least had something. Well, sorry, with the exception of Tishbola's goal, the other two kind of started on the kind of Livingston left, and the third one especially when it's kind of the, the, the double up on them two and one, and it's just they both they've got two attacking fullbacks, Lovey and in, in Serrano and Devlin, and I think. It's one of those things where you can say, well, maybe they could curtail it a bit, but I don't kind of want them to curtail it. I just think you sometimes just have to to live with the consequences. And on this day, they got burned. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do sort of wonder as well in that having Alan Forrest standing in front of him as well, it's not to be critical of Forrest at all, but it is a very sort of top flight Scottish football inexperienced left-hand side. If you stick, if, there, if there's another Scott Robinson, so for example, if we, we live in a world where there's two Scott Robinsons, they could both probably, one could play on the right and one could play on the left. And you would think that that might give Serrano just a little bit more sort of protection and support. Uh, on that side as well although Forrest gets up and down really well Robinson always impresses me because he tends to be in the right position at the right time it's just the way he, the way that he plays his game so it's it's inexperienced and maybe that's partially um, related to that as well by the same token you're playing against a guy on the right hand side who has about the most experience in the league um, of any right hand side uh, in Chris Burke going down there as well and then one of Dishball Power or Dicker in behind him as well and while they've got Rossi playing at right back as well who's perhaps not natural there Burke is going to help everybody out doing that side so he's, he's, he's it's rare that you need to come up against someone in as good form with as much experience and as much ability as Burke um, on a weekly basis so I, I, I fully agree with you go and do it worst case scenario you lose a game once in a while best yeah. case scenario you win games we should probably talk about the, the main reason why Livingston lost this game, and that's Robbie McCrory, who was very poor for the equaliser, where you know he makes the save, uh, but he, it's so kind of weak. He, he's he, he doesn't even the ball doesn't even go to the side. Like sometimes you see goalies kind of push it to the side, and there's a striker right there, and you think, well, you probably should have done more to try and push it further away rather than just kind of parrying in the shot. McCrory for the touch ball goal just knocks it right back to him, like right back into the centre. It's really poor. And he then compounds it by making an error, which is so much worse. He thinks he does one of those. At first, when I first looked at it, I was like, 
what the fuck is he actually doing there? But I've, I've kind of realised that what he's doing is the, the thing that goalies do when they kind of they come for the ball and they kind of kip, tip it to themselves. So it bounces down and then they pick it up and then they usually kind of, because they've got a bit of formal momentum, they'll usually then kind of throw it or, or do a quick kick to try and start a counter. The problem with doing that is that you need to be aware that there's nobody there. You need to know that there's nobody there. If there's somebody there and you drop that ball, they could just do what Kilty did and just go, okay, <laughs> I'll just score then. <laughs> I, was, I was hugely impressed by Kilty's presence of mind to just knock it in because it, it, it feels like the sort of one that he might have got away with with somebody slightly less sharp than Kilty was. Um, and yeah, he dropped it, but it also... Kelly's anticipation that somehow the keeper's going to miss it in that per- very particular way straight onto his toe or alternatively he just ran straight on it and it was good fortune you, you can take your pick in terms of how you, how well you want to see you finish that and uh, the final player I wanted oh, well, sorry I should say that I think McCrory he should be dropped now um, it, well it, it will be for next week well, he won't be dropped he won't be able to play because they're playing Rangers and he won't be able to play against his parent club but the uh, I've never got to pronounce his name the sub goalie any help? Uh, the Livy... Sorry, I can't actually remember it's, the boys. Mm, uh, Max, what's his name? Uh, Strychek. Uh, Strychek, Stry- Stry- that's it, yes. Yep. He's played, I think, three times now. Looked good in every game. Looks more assured. Looks better at coming for boxes. Commander, he's, his goal. Uh, he's made some decent saves. I think it's time that even after next week, uh, unless there is something in McCrory's loan deal that he has to play, uh, but even then, surely you can get out of it by you know paying some money more to Rangers by saying sorry, uh, we need to not stop playing this guy because he's not very good. Stop losing goals week in week out because he's but <laughs> yeah he's had a few moments and do kind of feel for him. But again, it's it's part of the the, the learning experience of being a being a goalkeeper. Um, everybody knows that goalkeepers aren't going to reach the sort of peak until they're what in their late or sort of mid twenties at the very least, late twenties. So. He's got to be playing, he's got to be making mistakes, he's got to learn from them. And my worry with McCrory is, is that a number of times you see him make a mistake in the game and then you can almost tell it's playing on his mind. And it's that sort of resilience to return from that and say, well, do you know what? Yeah, okay, I, I made a mistake and hold my hands up because every goalkeeper makes mistakes. But you need to reset yourself and get yourself back in the game and certainly not fucking do it again. Robin McCrory was very good last year at Queen of the South. And I just wonder whether this is maybe a step up just a little too soon. Like, so yeah, he's had two seasons in the championship. So maybe I suppose you thought, yeah, let's try him out of top flight now. But, and I know he was at Levy last year, but I'm kind of including this just as always one spell because yeah. he arrived in January and I thought he looked a bit dodgy, to be fair, when he first came into Levy. So I'm almost kind of surprised that Livingston were that enthused to, to bring him on again. And this is why I think surely they're not Surely there's not a clause in the contract saying he has to play because if that if that is true, that's a kind of a, a bit of a boob from from Livingston. You surely would be like, well, I don't know about that. Like the guy, you know, he's hardly infallible. <laughs> like surely want to have the, the option of playing somebody else. <laughs> it's, the, it's the sort of thing that it's, if you have an outfield player that you need to play week in week out, you can probably get away with it. If you have a goalkeeper that you ha- you simply must play week in week out contractually, that feels like a very dangerous place to find yourself within. <laughs> Imagine that was Hearts last season with Joe Pritt. I mean, fucking might have been, actually, to be might honest. Might have been, I. <laughs> fucking pop-a-dom wrist. Um, right, the, the last player I want to talk about is Jay Emmanuel Thomas. It was our first kind of... He's played in Betfred Cup games, but it was our first look at him. Um, he looks like he'll be quite handy. 
he looks like a good laugh. And it, more than anything, it, it, I, sorry, I, there's, there's no chance in the world that I'm not going to be fully on board like I have a jet on his back. <laughs> and like, that's been sort of a, a weird bit of Livy's summer. And it, all the way through, you knew Dykes was going to go. Um, they brought in Lockhart after Dykes left. So he would presumably be in that replacement. Um, Stokes was meant to be there as another option, um, you would think. Um, and Stokes was meant to be the guy, either Stokes or Lockhart. But now Stokes decided after <laughs> four weeks of looking at plastic pitches, going, I don't fancy it anymore, um, that you go and find J. Emmanuel Thomas, which I mean, all for it for signing the guy with just that kind of background. It, it'll be a good laugh. It feels very Livingston, but he has to be presumably fairly low down there target list if that's what they were looking at in the first place and they already had Stokes in the door for that amount of time so anyone else on that list has probably moved on um, so I, I do wonder quite what number on Livingston's signing list he actually was before he gets there but all for it if you can start finishing them from within the six yard box that would probably step in the right direction <laughs> yeah that was that was a bad miss but I, did, I was quite impressed with his performance I think the ball stuck a bit more after he came on than it did with Tiffany and that's just kind of what Livingston need they just need a forward who's going to annoy opposition defenders into not clearing the ball properly. And yeah, and, and again, it's, it's something that we, which a lot of people have, have seen, obviously, in the past sort of week or so, watching Dykes for 90 minutes um, each time. And it's just the 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 lack of self, or the, the selflessness he played with for Livingston, which he's transferred to the national team as well. It's, it's that per, sort of perfect scenario of he is in, incredibly selfless outside the 18 yard box. And then as soon as he gets inside the 18 yard box, is a very selfish centre forward. And finding someone with that sort of character and that having the ability is fine, but having the sort of character to be able to go and play in that sort of way is probably just as important as the ability. And as we've seen with Tiffany, he certainly seems to have that sort of character of I'm going to go and scrap with anyone despite the fact that I'm not the biggest guy in the field. Giamagno Thomas might, might be the biggest guy in the field might be the biggest guy in the field so if he's got that same sort of mentality which it's something which we've touched on a number of times talking about Livingston but all the guys that they bring in seem to buy into that mentality and have that mentality of do you know what I'm part of this team I am part of this unit I'm not an individual within it which again is kind of why the Tony Stokes signing at the time seemed to make no sense no sense in the slightest um, so you would imagine that they've done their homework and they know what sort of character as a player he is in order to play with them. I wonder if they would use Stokes as a runner as part of the kind of supporting three rather than, than up top. Although, to be fair, they did actually, they also started the campaign to try to play 3-4-3. Three, three. So yeah. maybe he would have been one of the supporting two. Uh, they quickly binned that because like most teams that play 3-4-3, three, three, it was rubbish. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I, I, I've no, the, the Stokes signing continues to make no sense and Livingston continued at the start of spending the first six weeks of every season trying to be something else still feels like a daft thing they tried to be something under something different for six weeks under Kenny Miller or something for six weeks at the start of last season or for six weeks at the start of this season just be Livingston it's fine nobody's that like you are a good team you can own the fact that you are a good team and you play well um, the fact that people think that you're one thing um, and the fact that you're not is kind of irrelevant at this point Right Graham thank you very much for joining me Thanks Craig Cheers, stream is just the one game. Well, next time. <laughs> Cheers. And finally, I welcome onto the podcast, Mr. Craig Cairns. Craig, how's it going? Very well, how are you doing? I'm good. I was very enthusiastic. A lot of energy, feeling energy. Uh, I feel like I was lagging in the last part of the show because it was like 
talking to Graham at like nine o'clock at night. It's not ideal. Like I was asleep about half an hour after the call finished. <laughs> Uh, still recovering from Saturday night as well, so it was uh, it was a, it was a mix it was a mixed performance from myself uh, so far. But let's 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 finish this with some big dick energy and uh, someone who is not very much. <laughs> someone who is not permeating much big dick energy at the moment is Brian Rice. He's getting a bit chippy now, isn't he? Getting a bit getting a bit slavery, getting a bit man under pressure. Yeah, I just watched his um. Well, part of his interview for his uh, pre-match press conference for uh, for the game on Tuesday night against Aberdeen, and he was asked by a local journalist, um, "How determined are you to get off the bottom of the league?" Which it's quite a softball question. It's not it's not an incisive question, but at the same time, it's not really putting him in a difficult position to answer or something like that. It's not an awkward question like, "Why didn't you play this guy?" or um, you know, what I mean, something like that. Yeah. Something that he, he doesn't want to explain to the public or something like that. He could have how, just, de- how determined are you to get off the ball of the table? Very, very determined. We're doing everything yeah. we can to get off the ball of the table. Easy answer. Move on. Yeah, exactly. He could have, but he kind of made a fool of the journalist a wee bit. I think that kind of says more about where he is at the moment. There's a there's a bit of rumor at the moment about him. Uh, ducking any video interviews after the Annan defeat, and there's 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 rumor of kind of disquiet and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. We'll we'll wait and see. I think they might be. I think Hamilton might be quite loyal to. Well, they showed that during the betting thing, didn't they? They're they're, they're quite loyal to to Rice, and I think given the circumstances that the the whole sport is in, given COVID and stuff, you'll probably find more patience from boards and things like that. Um, they're, they're very loyal to managers in general because they were very loyal to, even going back, so obviously Martin Cannon, I think, stayed on about probably at least a year, more than most Aki's fans wanted him to. And even if you remember Billy Reid, Billy Reid was still remained in charge after the club was relegated back to the, the second tier. And then even then, I think they only parted ways with Billy Reid when they were like seventh or something and were really kind of starting to struggle under them. So they definitely have a record of sticking by managers, whether that's a, a good thing or not. I suppose we'll have to, to wait and see. At the weekend, they were beaten 5-3 at home by Hamilton. <laughs> Sorry, St. Johnson. Uh, a result that I asked literally the night before on review for the terrace, would you expect to see a 7-2 result uh, between Hamilton and, and St. Johnson? In fairness, I wasn't wrong. I didn't finish 7-2. It wasn't even a nine-goal thriller. It was only a measly eight goals. So I, I'm stubbornly saying I was correct in that one. But yeah, it was uh, safe to say it was the type of game I didn't see coming. And a, a very a weird game uh, for all of it, really. Yeah, but St. Johnston, there's, obviously you will be slightly disappointed with conceding three goals, but there's lots of positives to take there from St. Johnston, especially... Um, they were sounding like a broken record saying how well they were playing and not converting chances. And um, they've just gone on a blitz recently. That that um, The Betfred Cup's come at the right time for them, it seems. It's, it seems to have uh, helped them break their duck a wee bit. And now they've carried that on in, uh, into this game. Scoring in the first minute and then being 3-0 up fairly early on, they went back to their two tens behind uh, yeah. Stevie May this time. And not only that, but they were asked to kind of stay on their side and... Eric Nicholson from The Courier was writing about Craig Conway specifically and saying that if you compare it to the match against Motherwell, he had a similar amount of touches. Uh, Let me just see if I can find the actual stats. But when you break it down to how often 
uh, sort of how many of those were on certain sides of the pitch. It's like, um, it was almost like, a, I can't find it just now, but it was almost like a 50-50 split in the Motherwell game between whether Reese Touches being on the left side of the pitch and the right side of the pitch. This one, it was something like 40 were on the right and only nine were on the left or something. So it really showed you. And Wotherspoon was sticking to the, uh, the left as well. They were obviously drifting in and becoming tens, but um, we know that that's what he started with at the start of the season, kind of moved away from it a little bit, but he seems to have... Uh, he seems to have uh, come up with something here. Yeah, it certainly. I mean, it, it, I'm not really saying anything that anybody doesn't know by saying it certainly worked when you scored five goals away from home. I think it, it did help uh, to kind of use it. I think it's helped that they've, they've managed to... They, they struggled a little bit against... Was it was it Kelty? Yeah, it was. It was Kelty that struggled a little bit to, to break down, where I think they only won 2-1 uh, away from home, but then the breaking game where they knocked seven past them. And yes, it is breaking, but it's kind of like there's a, there's a kind of basketball analogy that I think fits quite well here. Which it's just good to see one go in. And then once one goes in, then you kind of get that, that kind of confidence back. And when they say about basketball, they kind of talk about shooters who are struggling and then they get sent to the free throw line. And then it's obviously a lot easier to just kind of, and then as soon as, as soon as they see one go in, that's it. They're kind of, their mindset changes and they're kind of, whether the stats bear it out, I've no idea, but they always seem more likely to then kind of heat up a bit during the game. And I think that's what Johnson doing, and probably even particularly Stevie May. Who, the same, yeah. Who scored twice, probably could have had a couple more. Uh, and I think the most impressive thing about that is it was kind of going to the Stevie May that we've been wanting to see that we that was completely kind of absent from his time at Aberdeen, which is a guy getting into these areas and getting into the areas where you expect your kind of number nine to score goals. And the both goals he scored were kind of, that's exactly what you're after him, especially the second one where he's just makes a kind of really kind of quick front push run, gets gets in front of the defender and is able to head it in. The other thing was maybe surprising about, and I was, I think in most instances, he, he definitely made the right play because they ended up scoring as well. And Conway's always going to have an easier chance if he can swear it to him. But I don't know, I just would have liked to see May at that later chance just drive it goal and try and get his hat trick. And then it really would have been like, yes, he's fully, he's fully got his mojo back. But it, yeah, it can't be too harsh because one, they scored, and two, it was the right thing to do. Uh, but I don't know, I just wanted him, for for reasons of me wanting to feel secure that Stevie May is back, I wanted him to drive on and try and score himself. Yeah, well, that would have been two hat-tricks in consecutive matches, or sorry, hat-tricks in consecutive matches. But you're completely right that he, he did the right thing, I think, because the, the the chances of him putting it past the keeper are slimmer than him tapping it, uh, yeah. sorry, squaring it for a tap-in. And Cornway himself should have scored. He scored twice. He should have scored two more. In fact, well, he scored an absolute fucking belter. <laughs> a great free kick right in the top corner and also missed two sitters. One, well, one was probably a, a bit of a tight angle and I think he was just pushed slightly wide by the pass from Jamie McCart, who'd done very well to set it up, basically, you know, uh, in position in his own half and just driving forward and showing patience to wait until the opening was there. And it was the right ball to make. He just, I think, put a little too much pace on it. But the other one, the one that he gets at the front post from, I think it was Scott Tanzer's cross, it's got to be scored that. <laughs> I think it's maybe because he's going out with his wrong foot, but it was just that was a terrible finish. Yeah, he came into it in the second half a lot more. He wasn't like poor in the first half or anything, but um, most so, of St. Johnson's... It was kind of the, the swap. The first half, it was all Wotherspoon, and in the second half, it was all Conway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because Wotherspoon was amazing in the first half, but most of the play was focused down his side as well. It was him and Tanzer and the likes, um, and Hodgson. Hodgson was getting run ragged in this game. I, I couldn't actually understand what was happening with Aki's. Um, 
they started off with a back four. And then it looks like when Hughes comes on, Temple, and it was really, did you see the challenge? It, it looked really innocuous. I, I, yeah, it, it looked like what he was holding. It looked like he'd, he'd kind of turned these. It looked like he'd suffered a groin injury. because He was kind of holding that area as he was down. So it those could like just anything be, to do with the challenge at all. Yeah, but those, aye, those could be... Uh, this could just be done by you know turning the wrong way and then suddenly you're growing. Uh, I once got a, I never actually with any injury I've had I never actually bothered to get it like diagnosed or anything but for a while I had a, a, <laughs> had a sort of like tight groin for a while and I sustained it playing softball turning to chase after a ball that was launched over my head <laughs> <laughs> well this isn't what happened to Templeton but it, like I said it didn't look like it was anything to do with the with the challenge but this strangely worked in Hamilton's favour because Ronan Hughes came on and was the best thing about Hamilton all day, or maybe the only good thing about Hamilton all day. It looked like for a while that they had asked Moyle to go up front. He had started on the left. Uh, Hughes to kind of drop in a bit because they were completely losing the midfield. They had two central midfielders, Callan and Martin, up against effectively four St. Mm-hmm. St. Johnston midfielders. And um, it meant they were leaving this back four, um, just back with Stevie May, the only the only striker. But it yeah. looked like uh, McMahon was pushed on a wee bit more and Hodgson kind of tugged tucked in a bit and right away you could see them they won a couple of corners they started getting balls into the box and eventually they, they get themselves a couple of goals but um it, it looked like they had moved back at some point during the second half so i don't know whether i'd imagined it or not but it yeah was, Hodgson's position positioning was a little more tucked in it was like he was following whatever witherspoon was going basically no which didn't work out very well at all because <laughs> Boswell just rinsed them time and again even in the air like Boswell kept winning aerial challenges over him as well just like you're, you're literally good for nothing at this point in time and what they were doing um so Moyle I think Moyle was on the left for the entire game uh right. but or at least for most of the game I, I wasn't paying as much close attention in the closing stages but what was happening was that he was basically seemed to be given a free roll and any time they were attacking, he was not to be on the left, basically. So I think he was on the left when they were defending. And then he would always go, so he was either going up top, or even sometimes you saw him on the right wing, just flown all the way across. So mm. he, but mainly he was just going kind of through the centre, and then they would launch the ball up in the direction of him and Ogunpo. But because I had Kyle Monroe on the right as well, and he's left-footed, he would kind of like drift in as well. It was all very weird, but at the same time, I don't know how critical I can be of it, because they still scored three goals at home. Yeah. I, I know, um, but at the same time, I mean, they... yeah, you're right. You could probably be critical of saying they, they didn't give enough protection to the defence. Uh, who, but this, there was a lot of kind of individual errors. Hodgson, for instance, being dreadful. Adolphin probably had his worst game of the season. He was not great for either of May's goals, and the one with Conway, I felt a little bit sorry for him um, because I think he he sees it that May's wanting to kind of pass it to Conway, but he just doesn't quite have the kind of hard to, to sell it so much because especially if he runs completely away then he's maybe potentially leaving May with a kind of easier yeah. kind of chance so I think most defenders would get caught in two minds there but then he fouls Chris Kane for the what ended up being Conway's goal as well so all in all a very poor day from Aki's you know best second best player this season yeah one of the better players this season yeah I totally agree he was caught in two minds for that one and he's caught between uh, providing cover for the player that's gone to me and and Commons. I th- actually think for that one, which turned out to be a fairly decisive goal, when Hamilton surrendered possession in the opposition half, McMahon is, sorry, man. No, no, I was right the first time. McMahon has got, yes. a, has got a, a decent head start on Conway, but he just kind of outstretches his arms to complain that they've lost the ball. And by that, by the time he's reacted, 
Conway is well beyond him. So I think uh, I think McMahon should have the finger pointing at him for that one. Do you think Xander Clark should have saved Ogden Poe's header? Um, I don't know. I didn't. I, did, I certainly didn't think it at the time because it looked like it looped over him rather than. Um, I wasn't was, too. I th- he kind of. He moved his feet a lot, but didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. Like, I seen these, like, his toes were, his toes were working, but he didn't seem to be moving across the goal as quickly. I just thought, I thought the ball hung in the air, not quite as bad as Colin Doyle with <laughs> uh, Fraser Murray's strike in the cup, but it was one of those ones where it's a good header, it's a good strike, and it goes in the top corner. But it just, for me, I don't know. I was looking back at the replays trying to think whether I could apportion any blame to Clark. And the only thing I could say is that when I first watched it and when I watch it at full speed, I just think it hangs in the air a second longer than I would expect a goal to happen. See, that's why I think it maybe comes off Ogunpo's shoulder and it loops. But I'd have to watch it again. To, it's, quite, to, it's quite a far out header as well. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe I've just been harsh on a goalie that it's been easy to pick on the last 18 months or so. Um I think that's, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to talk about this game. I mean, I say Aki scored three goals. I think there was a little bit of kind of good fortune. The Ogunpo's header is not one you're going to score with very often. The I think St. Johnson's defence was very poor for the, the opener and whether they would have been that lax at, you know, 1-0 as opposed to 3-0, I'm not entirely sure. McCart had a poor game defensively. Yeah. McCart struggled. Uh, he gets caught for that one. And then Tanzer as well, because Monroe kind of drifted inside and they're the very narrow formation Tans are kind of drifted in as well so once Hughes made it past McCart there was no kind of extra layer of protection and also the, the third goal uh, comes about because there's just chaos after Callahan hits that some strike yeah I know I great strike <laughs> so it wasn't like it wasn't like Aki's and it, it didn't really create many other chances apart from that so yeah nah fuck it I'm just dying Brian Rice what you did <laughs> It was he. It changes his team up. Like even right, maybe this game wasn't his fault. Maybe it was just too many individual mistakes from the defenders uh, that ultimately cost them. But the fact is that he doesn't really deserve that kind of you know excuse because every week he just changes his team and it seems yeah. to it's like the same idea but with just like a different shape and different personnel every week. The same idea. It just like he, he comes up with new and inventive ways to lump the ball up to a big striker. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's difficult to say because of the, like I said at the start, the the situation we're in and they, they're probably quite loyal to him, but it looks like he's coming to the end of that uh, of that reign, I think. I'm not sure. I mean, even his quotes after the game were pretty, I mean, he's trying to be smart and it sounds really stupid when he says, <laughs> um, it's sink or swim. If you want to sink, get off the boat. If you don't, stay on board and let's go. So we should and a, and really a pass- get off the boat to, sun, to swim, wouldn't you? And you <laughs> yeah, would get off the boat to sink. <laughs> I think in his past life, he was an advisor to the band on the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, so let's get to the game at Tanadice. That was 0-0, uh, Dundee United against Aberdeen. Um, I have not seen any of this game. I ran out of time today uh, due to work commitments. I was hoping to watch some of it. I was ho- and then I was hoping to watch the highlights and then read forums. I got to do none of that, so I'm going at this fairly fairly blind. Uh, so you're going to have to help me through this, Craig. <laughs> but I'm, I'm aware that Aberdeen were pretty much in, in control for most of this match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they dominated it. They're, there was a chance towards the end that Chalmers had that it would have been a complete smash and grab if they had if they had scored that one. Shankland barely got into the game, other than an amazing save. Actually, um, he 
was just isolated most of the game. Uh, Dundee United sat quite deep. Nicky Clark was dropping off the front, but ended up putting in mostly a defensive shift. And yeah, Shanklin was um, isolated for most of it. Here, when did new firms start creeping back in? I've heard it a lot over the over the last week. A lot of pish. It's not a thing. Yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> I hadn't heard it for a long time. And then over the last week, it's just like people are trying to make it a thing again. Anyway, but I spent most of this game trying to work out what Mickey Mellon was shouting. So when his team had the ball, you could hear him shout and pass or make your passes and that kind of thing, right? Um, which I don't know, looking at how they were passing about, it was like it was like he was asking them just to pass the ball for passing sake, but and it led to them kind of losing the ball quite a lot in their own halves and they're in possession quite easily. Um, but that's the way he wants to play. So, I mean, and he's he's not long in the job. So, I mean, it'll take him a long time and a, a couple of transfer windows at least to kind of start to get them to play exactly the way he wants to play. But he was also, in a defensive sense, when they didn't have the ball, it was like whenever, every time Aberdeen crossed Dundee United's 18-yard line, he would shout something. I couldn't remember, I couldn't exactly work out what it was. It was something like past the box or something like that. It was weird. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, Mickey Mellon's been one of the more vocal coaches that you've been able to hear uh, when watching the, the games without fans. So, I don't know, a lot of my interest was trying to work out what he was actually shouting to his <laughs> players. Um, I mean, it wasn't a terrible game. It wasn't a terrible nil-nil, but... Um, Dundee United, like I said, Dundee United really weren't up to much. Uh, Aberdeen should have should have won this game comfortably, but I, I I think that both managers will be fairly happy with this though because Mickey Mellon he's got a point against his team's been a bit up and down. He's got a point against what's looking like a very good team this season, and uh, McInnes will just be happy that his team's continuing to play quite well, even if they've had a game where they've kind of come up short in front of goal. Yeah, Mickey Mellon. His, so I think the problem with United is that, and even though I didn't see the game, I still felt confident enough to put this in winners and losers because I asked Joel and he was like, put this in. And I was like, yep, that sounds a bit right without even seeing the match. Uh, which is that the midfield for United just isn't that good, is it? Um, no, no, that was one of the things I'd put down. So when you look at the, when Aberdeen defenders are um, bringing the ball out, they've got this box of four in front of them and lots of options. And... Dundee United's was just a, more of a flat three and Butcher's not very comfortable on the ball. Harks plays, Harks is decent, but he plays a bit further forward. And, uh, and even, then, even then, Harks is not, Harks is not brilliant on the ball. He's great at kind of driving the ball forward and he's great at kind of disrupting and cutting through lines and stuff like that, but he's not exactly like a great passer or, no, no, no. or particularly creative. And Pollitt, Pollitt just... Uh, it's like he's trying to make him into a box-to-box midfield and it's not quite working. It's not really... They really do need... Uh, well, they do have other bodies to come in in the centre midfield. They've just not given them any of a chance. I think that uh, that Giando Fuchs going by Pai and Bovril, it seems to be that he's got a bit of the Templeton factor about him, that he, he's he's been built up as the guy that's going to come in and save the save their midfield, as if they haven't forgotten about a, another certain Cameroonian midfielder that they had not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but they like to turn them all with that brush. <laughs> and another one uh, called uh, Hottie or something like that. I can't remember. I mean, I remember seeing the signing when it came in. But there's these two guys that seem to be getting pined for on the on the fans forums. But I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about them. But they do need something better in the centre of the pitch. That's definitely. He wants to, if he wants to play a passing game, he um, his best central defender on the ball wasn't playing in this game and you can't really expect Connolly, the likes Connolly to be doing it that much but at the same time you can kind of get away with not having ball playing central defenders if you've got decent midfielders coming in to collect the ball off them and it seems like they have neither if they want to play a passing game at the moment 
And a problem as well is that if you're constantly playing with a kind of three, a three five two, or really as I've been playing quite a lot, five three two, then you're needing somebody to get service to Lon Shanklin. And if your midfield three aren't very creative and your your wide players are, are having to be as deep as as they are through a lot of the game, how the fuck is Shanklin going to get any support really apart from having Nicky Clark standing beside him? And then that just goes back to my uh, original question: uh, How the fuck is he supposed to get any support? Yeah, well, he didn't in this game. Like I said, Nicky Clark wasn't even close to him for large parts of the game. But yeah, I don't know. Looking at looking at Aberdeen, though, one of the interesting things I wanted to point out about them was, um, I mean, they've had a lot of chances in this game. But one player I wanted to look at specifically is uh, Scott Wright. He missed um, he misses a lot of chances, doesn't he? He's, he's missed two one on ones this season. He's he's had a lot of faith put in him this season by McInnes, and in a very attacking lineup, he's one of the most uh, advanced players, and he, he's just not being very productive for them at the moment, is he? I think he's got, I think he's got, is it one goal? And I could see him, I could see him first. dropping out of the team. Uh, Sam Cosgrove is now fit for fit enough to be in the squad for the Aki's game. Um, that news just came out uh, earlier today, and I can imagine. I doubt Cosgrove will start on Tuesday because he, he won't be Matt Sharp. But I can imagine going forward. McInnes will bring him back in as the central striker in that 3-4-3 and move Watkins back and right will will disappear to the bench. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, though, whether that changes what Aberdeen will be like so far this season and whether they'll change the way they've approached matches and whether they'll go more direct and whether they'll go back to being shit to watch. <laughs> because he was he was uh, bemoaning, he was certainly McInnes making it kind of clear after the game that Cosgrove will come back in the side once he's fit because he was kind of moaning about the fact that without him in the team, they lacked kind of somebody with the kind of killer instinct to, to put away some of these chances that they had against United. And that certainly seems to suggest he'll be just a number nine once again. I, I personally wouldn't want to see that. I've quite, you know, I've, I've enjoyed new Aberdeen, new sexy Aberdeen. And Cosgrove uh, will just, in terms of their style of play, he's not a bad looking by himself. Uh, in terms of their style of play, he will ugly it up. Yeah. Uh, what does that say about Ryan Edmondson, though? Who's brought on in this game to kind of give him that presence in the box? And he's sitting saying after the game, I don't have this because Cosgrove's out. Um, but yeah, I think I think you can't bring back a player who's been who scored so many goals for you over the last couple of seasons. I don't think you I don't think you can leave him out. He's got to make his way back into the team at some point. But yes, even if you put him into the team and you ask your team to play the same, there's still sometimes a temptation to see the big man and 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 get it forward to him. But I don't know, it could it could just add another facet to their attack where they're able to go. Because as 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 people say, being direct doesn't necessarily mean that you play a, a long ball to somebody's head. It can sometimes be into feet into chest and stuff. And uh, Cosgrove's very effective at that and getting his team up the pitch. So it could just add another another uh, facet to their attack. And to be honest, what you've described there with Wright dropping out, Watkins going back one and Cosgrove, I mean, that sounds like a decent front three given the yeah. given the form of Hedges and uh, and Watkins this season. I hope Watkins has been a wee bit hot and cold, I suppose. It would be interesting to see Watkins as well in that slightly deeper role where his pace might be more of a factor where he can take the top off the defences and... You can maybe even, even if they do go direct, he could get some flick odds for Cosgrove. I just hate to see another team playing fucking a big guy up front. Everybody, I've moaned about this earlier on to Graham. Everybody fucking does it. Like, it's just annoying me. Like, Hibs do it all the time with Dodge as well. Like, I didn't mention them earlier, but he does. And I think there's like, there's, what, two teams that don't just try to hit a big guy up front? <laughs> yeah, I, I... 
Yeah, I don't know. We'll United, United kind of, but they've been shit to watch as well, so it's not like they're providing much else. But they've got a semi-final coming up against Celtic and um, Watkins, the last time he played in the semi-final against Celtic, he played up front alongside the big man. I'll take that. Hearts, Hearts are the final. Good for he me. Went on to win the cup. <laughs> oh, I don't want that second part. <laughs> right, anything else more to add about this game? I don't think so. No, no, no. Never done the United should have won it. That chance from Chalmers. He's got. To, he's uh, McNulty did brilliantly, but uh, Chalmers has got to finish that. He's, 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 uh, as it was pointed out on Sports Scene by Neil McCann, I think it was. It's that second touch. He's just. It's just under his feet when he tries to lift it over the keeper. And uh, yeah, but that 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 should have been done. United should have come away with a with a with three points there after after riding their luck. Let's say. And that would have got me my money back from the stupid betting I did on Saturday afternoon. I got too carried away for myself. I won one in the Hearts game and then I won one in the Rangers game. And I reinvested all my Rangers winnings on four games, all singles. None of that came in. Uh, but I was just waiting. I just needed one of one of either Ross County or Bloody Wright to score in the last like five minutes and I would have at least got my money back. But no, stupid. Got too excited. Damn. <laughs> lessons. <laughs> lessons in betting. <laughs> I've been reading a book of, of like a mental gambler, uh, Tony Ted, about the guy who gambled like, uh, what was it? It was like, he stole t- like nearly 2 million euros for his employer uh, and like over the course of his Paddy Power account, gambled 10 million euros. Wow. And I'm reading this and I'm, it just makes me want to have a bet. <laughs> <laughs> and how much have you been losing? How much have you been losing? Oh, it's bet three for six life for me. Uh, 10 to 20 quid per week. So it's not like... And I always get scared whenever I do anything more than that. If I do more than a five at a time, I get scared. <laughs> uh, I haven't been betting at all recently. It's just something that I kind of fell out of the habit of. And I hear you guys mention it um, every Saturday that gets brought up with what are people's coupons. And I don't know, I just haven't been motivated to do it recently. I don't know why. I just... I just because I'm watching, I think, a lot of sport right now. And it just... It does give you a wee extra kind of... If, you're, if yeah. it's two teams you're not too fussed about, it gives you a wee bit more extra care. And I think I'll be... Even with Hearts games, I think I'll probably be betting. And Cowboys games. Because Hearts will be playing against teams that are expected to beat and I can't get too excited about beating our growth otherwise unless I've got some money on us to win minus two or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cowboys, because... Uh, even if we make the playoffs this year, we're not going to do anything. So it barely matters. It barely matters if we win any games or not. So <laughs> like I'll just back them to, to care more about my own teams. Right, anyway, that's enough rambling. Uh, thank you, Craig, for joining me. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please hit, up, hit us up on Twitter at Terrace Podcast. We're also on Instagram at Terrace Podcast. And you can check out the Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. I'm about to get some quarterly reports done uh, this week with fans and journalists uh, for the teams in the top flight. So make sure to look out for them when they arrive. And yes, uh, the, as I said recently, the tiers have changed on Patreon. It's now in pounds, so you don't have to pay conversion rates. So that's that's good for us. It's good for you. It's £2, £5. And if you want to join the Elite Club, it's £7, where you get a fanzine and a T-shirt at the end of the season. And I think that's pretty much covered everything. Oh, yeah, and make sure you listen to Craig's show with Chris Iwellamo. I always have to pause every time I see it. <laughs> like, uh, uh, which uh, are you set for another one this week? Yeah, yeah, tomorrow morning. Um, oh. uh, so hopefully it'll be up around lunchtime or something. Great stuff. So make sure you listen to that when it comes out. And thank you to everybody. Goodbye.
Social Podcast Network.